We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your True Faith end of season podcast. Alex Hurst, Michael Collin, Ben Wade, Norman Riley. We're going to look back at the season just gone. Season 2021. Yes, it's finally over. It feels like uh, football has been played forever because of the shortened summer last time round. We've got the Euros coming up, so there's a little bit of excitement there, but we're going to get right into Newcastle season under Steve Bruce with their 12th place finish. Lads, to get into the show, to start the show, I want to go around the room and ask you for a score out of 10 on the season. Mickey, why didn't you kick one off? What did you score that season out of 10 in terms of how the team performed overall? I'm going to give us a three, and I feel like that's generous. If it wasn't for the last month and a half, it would have been a one. Um, what would you have got relegated? Also one. You know, if, <laughs> it wasn't, if it wasn't for the last month and a half, there would be a decent chance we would have got relegated. And the, the only reason that we haven't been relegated is firstly that last month and a half and win those games, and also Fulham just being absolutely dismal for the the, the kind of last chunk of the season. Um, I think I think three's fair. Ben? Um... It, I, I get what Miggy's saying, but I, I think I'll probably give it a, a five overall. Five. It's like fifty percent success. I know. Well, <laughs> just because, as you said, well, you can't ignore the fact that where we're, we're finished and as a whole that we've, we have finished quite strongly. It's. I mean, it was a brutal, brutal, brutal season, but um, it's it's finished well. So I'm going to give him a few extra points for that. Um, with Ben, five out of ten. The reason being that you ultimately have to look at the whole season. At, at the end of it, we finished twelve on forty-five points. The performances have been absolutely shocking, but purely based on where we finished in the table and the points we've got, I can't go any lower than five. I think you are so generous. It's like so, so generous. A lot, of, a lot of those points, the vast majority of those points we've got in games where we played shit. And I but we still finished twelve on forty-five points. Yeah, look, when we finished, right? If the question was. What are the marks on performances collectively? I probably could have gone lower, but ultimately I can only look at the question, what do you give for the overall season? Overall, we finished 12th in the Premier League on 45 points with a manager who I think is absolutely terrible. We finished in that position, so I can't get any lower than five. I think that would be taking artistic licence, shall we say. Well, I'm going to go in the middle. Uh, I'll say four. We'll get into the reasons why. Uh, I did ask on Twitter about an hour ago um, what people who follow me and uh, marks out of five would be very, very grateful uh, that how many people uh, at the time, just before we started recording, 146 people um, 
got in touch with their score. Quite interestingly, this, and, and also people say Twitter isn't reflective of reality or society, and they may be right, but no one went higher than six, which I think is, is quite interesting. I think I didn't include point marks. When you want who went 5.5, you just got to round it down. Because um, no one went higher than six, and no one went, well, some people try to give minus answers, but I, I feel we're getting into mathematical absurdity if we started including them. <laughs> this is a serious podcast for serious people. Um, so I concluded there was, there was a zero, but, but the vast majority of the scores were three, fours, and fives, and, and it gave uh, the listener, if we want to call this score that, the listener, a four out of ten. So that's along with what I've given you. Now, why is Newcastle's four season classed as four out of ten? And I suppose it's a good way to start talking about the overall season. And of course, on this podcast, we're going to talk about the players, the results, the games, what was said, what happened, what didn't happen, and all of that. Um, as Norman correctly says, Newcastle finished 12th in the league, a scarcely believable achievement uh, if you go back to the dark days of January, February and March in particular. But but not an achievement at all when you look at the first half of the season. And that's that's why I think the season was, was so average and so poor. Have there been worse seasons to follow Newcastle United? Of course. Um, have there been better? <laughs> yes. Fairly average season in terms of um, league position. It actually is slightly better than the average league position under Mike Ashley, which was 13th. I think people who are more comfortable with Steve Bruce as the manager will say that he has, maybe similar to what Ben and Norman are saying, but I'll let you guys talk in a minute. You know, there's pretty much the power under Mike Ashley. It's job done. It's um, He has achieved what he was asked to achieve, which is to keep the club up comfortably, uh, 17 points, I think, in the end. Clear of relegation. Five wins in the last eight games. One of the best, better teams in the Premier League over the last month and a bit of the season. Manager of the month for April. It could have been much worse. However, lads, I'm going to take you back to the distant days of December. So not right at the start of the season. Not a million miles ago. Not like, you know, some different team with different players back to December. Newcastle beat West Brom. Uh, by two goals to one. Fairly fortunate win, like most Newcastle's wins, or many Newcastle wins. Um, and Newcastle are sit five points off third place Chelsea with a game in hand. Newcastle sit five points off third place with a game in hand uh, in December, in December 2020. To find ourselves, therefore, buzzing, not buzzing, that's an exaggeration. No one's buzzing, you weren't buzzing. But to find it kind of like, oh, you know, or, or let's let's put it this way, to find some praise delivered at Steve Bruce and the football club's door for finishing 12th. If you go back to that period and you look how close we were to actually doing something as a football club, to actually having a season worth remembering, um, it was quite the spectacular fall. And it's almost like a, a reassessment um, of the objectives because of how bad things got. And that's why it was such a disappointing season. And if I have any issue with Steve Bruce, right, it's not the ridiculous press conferences or abusing the fan base or, you know, pathetic behaviour towards journalists or even tactical stuff, which we might talk about later on. It's the fact that each season, right, he's been here two seasons, each season he's been in touch and distance of doing something, okay? Now, back end of last season, after going through a really difficult period, um, I think Newcastle took 12 points from, from five games when he changed formation. And we talked on the podcast at the time when we came back from lockdown football and beat Sheffield United 3-0. We talked about um, 
pushing for the top 10, getting the 50 points. 50 points means fuck all at the end of the day, but we've done it once, once under Mike Ashley. Uh, and we fell away massively, and all of a sudden that season, season 1920, just becomes another season that you don't really remember much about. Not, not very much happened, apart from the pandemic. You look at this season, so, so Steve Bruce and Castle United find themselves, um, I think, in 11th position, five points off third with a game in hand, and their next two games are against newly promoted sides, and then they have Brentford in the cup quarterfinal. Uh, Brentford who end up pretty much playing a reserve side because the club is less important than promotion. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly spectacular collapse from that point forward. And this is the problem with Bruce. Any time the club and his team start climbing the summit, start threatening to do something, there's not just like a failure, there's an absolute capitulation. And what we saw is a capitulation of such an incredible magnitude that finishing 12th, um, 14 points away from the top 10 is seen as some sort of fantastic end of the season. Steve Bruce is talking at the end of the season, the last game, about showing the critics. Well, the critics existed. The critics existed then about the style of play, about the fact it wasn't sustainable. Um, when Newcastle finished 13th under Rafa Benitez, we were seven points off the top 10. Obviously, we finished 10th the season before. Um, last season, we finished 10 points from the top 10. This season, we finished 14 points from the top 10. What does Steve Bruce say, say at the start of the season about Newcastle finishing the top 10? Well, I'll give you some quotes because I have them prepared. Um, Steve Bruce asked in a press conference uh, before the West Ham game, what is the aim for the season? He says, we gave ourselves a serious chance of the top 10 last year. If injuries are kind of this time, it's definitely achievable. He also said about, you know, he's talking about season 1920. He said when he talked about finishing clear of relegation, being fairly comfortable in the end, he said, that's not enough. We want to push for the top 10 on a regular basis and not have to look over our shoulders. Now, I'm going to agree with Ben and Norman a lot about Newcastle's end of the season and about uh, the turnaround, and we'll talk about why those things happened. We'll talk about Graham Jones and Joe Willock, I'm sure. But Steve Bruce has, has failed by his own standards there. Now, if he and the rest of the club and someone like Lee Charney and all of that, those kind of people might actually could believe that Newcastle were capable of pushing for the top 10. We have spectacularly failed in that endeavour. In addition, the fact that, like I go, I go back to, that in December, in December 2020, Newcastle were five points off third place with a game in hand. After COVID, by the way, this is after the COVID outbreak at the club, the West Ham game was the first game back. Um, to fall so far short of all of those clubs above, your um, Everton's, your Arsenal's, your Leeds's, your Aston Villas. These aren't teams that are out of reach. These aren't teams that are miles away financially from Newcastle United. My concern is that the season, and I'll give it four out of ten, is four out of ten because we gave ourselves, and Steve Bruce gave himself the platform to do something as Newcastle manager. From to be stood there at the end of the season and saying, I hope our critics are eating some humble pie. To me, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand ambition. He doesn't understand he doesn't even understand what he was trying to achieve because if he thinks that humble crap pie needs to be eaten because they finished 14 points away from 10th place, that's um, that's a pretty spectacular failure for me. So 4 out of 10, I don't know who wants to either come back at me or, or, or go further into that or their own score, but the, the floor is your lads. Well, I, com- I completely agree with you in that that's, that spell in December and, and what happened subsequently is why I've gone with the three because it was so bad. And you, you've highlighted there exactly why we were, we were close. We were within touching distance of, of having a half-decent season. 
And not only did we capitulate against, you know, a, a lead side that scored five goals against her. I know they I know they've been a decent side this year, but to score five against her, we draw ones each with Fulham, which was a disaster. And then you lose a cup quarter final against a second a second division, second team reserve team, literally the reserve team against our full side. And and then to not react to that, considering how that just decimated our season and ruined any chance of it being a positive season, to react to it by by going on a streak of of, of winning like virtually no games until the end of March is just unbelievably bad. And I, I just can't I can't forget that. I can't forget how it's made me feel about the club. And I've ended up over subsequent games. I, I think I've I've not watched more games this season than probably in the previous 10 seasons combined and it's because of, it's because of that it's because the reaction to being shit has been worse than that shit which is just pathetic lads i'm not disagreeing with what you're saying at all the season's been absolutely horrific right but i'm trying to formulate my answer in a in as objective a manner as i possibly can right which is probably wrong for like fan media but right now i'm trying to look at it through certain frames and those frames are right Steve Bruce is a poor football manager, but he's a manager in Newcastle United, right? So expectation levels, my expectation levels were we would finish 16th or 17th because Steve Bruce is a poor football manager. We'll finish 12th. The fact that we've gone on these mad long runs will have been extremely shocking for such a long time. That's indicative of Steve Bruce's career. Alan Pardew was exactly the same at Newcastle. We're very streaky side on Alan Pardew, right? So when I say 5 out of 10... I'm bringing in to my formulation there what my expectations are and my expectations of Steve Bruce and Newcastle United Football Club are minuscule. So the fact that we've actually finished 17 points clear of third bottom, to me, in the context that it's in, is actually quite a huge achievement. Am I saying that those players couldn't give us more if we're the better manager? Of course I'm not. They, Steve Bruce is a poor football manager. Newcastle United is a poorly run football club. My expectation levels are tiny, so we finished 12th. So for me, that is actually better than I expected. It's better than I expected. Therefore, it get it gets a, it gets a five from me, which is still a fairly poor score rate. Um, but I, what you're saying is completely bang on. But I cannot stop thinking about what my expectation levels are and what they will be as long as Steve Bruce is a football manager, this football club. Because you just need to look at his career as a football manager, and you need to look at where he was in his career when he arrived at Newcastle United. So that it, it's that that's that's where I'm getting my answer from. I think mine mine I'll jump in here. Mine comes from the fact that so if you'd have said I mean I, I think we did obviously preseason shows, I was fully expecting this team to be able to get in and around the top ten, which is where we've finished. That's where my uh, score comes from is the fact that I think we've we've just missed out on what I expected. And that's why I've got it below because I think we were capable of getting in the top 10, especially when you see how the season's unfolded in terms of there were so many teams. I mean, you've got a team like Southampton that were top of the league at one point, it finished below us. Like, so I mean, talk about capitulations and, and there's, there's plenty of teams that have been as mental as we have. I mean, obviously you look at that, that night, well, basically that half season, so that 19 run game from kind of December till basically April when we, we pick up two wins in those 19 games um, was absolutely awful. And as was relegation form, obviously which should have, should have, well, it got us in, into the relegation battle uh, where we shouldn't have been anywhere near, but then the other 19 games got us in a position where, I mean, we, we finished the league, the last sort of, I mean, I know people do like try and cut it up, but 
we finished as one of the informed teams for the for the sort of final part of the season. So you can't ignore that. Um, and and there there is there is other factors that have come into it in terms of. Um, and it's funny, I know we've been critical in, in terms of Bruce, in terms of when he's coming out saying injuries and things, and, and he has been able to play certain players. But in his mind, he's he obviously has faced some adversity. Um, and they've, I think they've, considering where they were, that, that run when everything just fell apart, um, you've got to give them credit for turning that sinking ship around because we did look like we we're going down. I, I, I know for a fact that a lot of us thought we were, we were down because. You've gone 19 games with two wins. Like, how the hell do you like get the players up after a run like that, where there doesn't really seem to be any um, sort of positives? There's no saviour coming in. I mean, obviously there was. It was Joe Willick that, that obviously came to the fore. But we, we, as I've said previously, we stumbled kind of on that accidentally, um, and we still had injuries. But we still had games where Max Mann's not been quite fit. Wilson's obviously missed. So. Um, I think to turn things around the way they did, you've got to give them credit for for finishing the way they did because it. I just did. I, I suppose a little bit kind of what Norman said there. I just did not see that happening. Um, and they've got up to a position where they've they finished just outside the top ten. Okay, you can look at the points and say they were miles off it, but the reality is is they've, they've finished twelfth again. It's kind of par for where I would have expected them at the start of the season. Yes, it's been a massively bumpy ride throughout the year, but. In terms of judging them where they are, I, I've got to kind of say that's that's kind of on par. Ben, I think it's a fair point to say the turnaround is impressive because it is, considering how bad it was before. But I, I think it's disingenuous to say we're in and around the top 10 because the points difference is just so massive. Like a 14-point difference between us and the top 10 is like, you know, it's, it's four wins and two draws out of our losses. Like it's, you know, it's, it's such a gulf. that Although like the table shows that we are close, in positions of the top 10 in terms of points and performances and victories and draws were absolutely a million miles away i agree i, I mean that, 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 that's a good point sorry ben if you come back and that me cracking no all i was going to say was i mean you, you say I, I understand what you mean in terms of the points total but if i look at the teams that have finished the places above us so villa in 11th everton 10th leeds 9th arsenal 8th i mean arsenal don't look like a great side i don't think we're a million miles from them and to be honest um, obviously Leeds were the only team there in that, that run that kind of battered were in both games. Um, the Villa ones were a bit closer, but I don't see we're a million miles from those teams at, at this current stage. And it was just, we, we had a horrific runs and, and obviously there should have been, um, obviously they're, they're, they deserve all the criticism they got for that run. But um, I don't think we're, we're that far away. I know the points obviously suggest that, but in terms of personnel and if we'd have just maybe had a few I suppose if he'd have if he'd have worked out the team that we finished with earlier, we we could have closed that gap a bit more. I think there were definitely points within that run where we we could have got more of it. But now nah, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't completely disagree. But I I think I, yeah, I don't think things are as bad as is kind of making out. Arsenal beat with three times this season. We didn't score. <laughs> but the report team. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we well, know, <laughs> and we expected we expected to, to go into those games. So I'm not. I mean, we've we've batted Everton twice. I mean, we've taken points off better teams than Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not always an exact science like that, is it? <laughs> I think everyone's making good points. Um, the reality is, we do know that we're not we're not like West Ham finished like 
sixth, well, not four off them in terms of playing personnel, but ultimately it's down to down the management, right? And, and regardless of those bad runs that we had, those bad runs happened because we've got a manager who historically has bad runs. That's that's the reality there. But in terms of the the kind of progressing when we put ourselves in good positions, you mentioned after the West Brom game, Alex were five points off Chelsea. The reality is we'd only played 11 games by this point, right? The same point the season before, we played 17 games um, because of COVID and the points differentials so if you look after 17 games this season, we were 15th on 19 points. 17 games the season before, we're 11th on 22 points. There's a three-point difference in a four-point play, you know, four points in terms of places, but it's three points different. So ultimately, ultimately it's the same. You know, like those 11 games, yes, I appreciate five points from third top, but, you know, 11 games is, isn't that many. Six games later, we're back in the same position we were. So I just think, I think that the fact that is always going to be, the fact that Steve Bruce is a... At best, lower mid-table Premier League manager. At best, regardless of the personnel that that are out there. And this is the question, isn't it? You both, Norman and Ben, just touched on what I wanted to talk about next. Anyway, it's like we're trying to analyse Newcastle's season, and we're all admitting it wasn't great. Fives and fours and threes. The listener, the listeners on my little Twitter question are saying it was very poor on the whole. I think even people who gave it a six, which is the highest score and gave it all caveated the six massively, but kind of said, you know, in terms of expectation, in terms of actually, in terms of Bruce, in terms of how bad it could have been, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this is this is this is the fundamental point for me. And Ben, you touched it there about we're not being a million ma- miles away from some of those sides. You, you, you made a good point about the two performances against Everton, um the, the performances against Leeds and Arsenal. And, and, and I'd say Aston Villa, we played Villa without Grealish and Villa are basically a joke for the for the one-one drawn and the humiliated were um, at their place pretty much. Um, and then, you know, let's not forget Leeds are newly promoted side. Villa finished 17th last season, <laughs> and all of a sudden we're four, we're 14 points behind them. What's going on? But the the, the bigger issue is 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 how good should the season have been in terms of the resources available to the manager. And I take your point on board, Norman, about, about Bruce. This is this is Steve Bruce's 12th place, and Steve Bruce's Premier League career is a really positive finish for him. So why should we expect anything different? But I haven't, you know, one of the big issues, and we want to talk about issues and, and some positives as well on this podcast. One of the big issues for Newcastle lads, uh, can you tell me how many players started more than 30 Premier League games for Newcastle this season? Anyone want to give it a, a go? Four. Oh, God. Four from um, Miggy. Not many. I mean, you would normally say the keeper and he didn't. Um, give, give us a number, Ben. Stop sitting on the fence. One. One. One, Norman. Two. Zero is the answer. Well, Whoa! Zero players. Miguel Moron started more, the more games than anyone. Sorry, not Miguel Moron. John Joe Shelby. I was going to say, John Joe would have been the one I would have said. <laughs> yeah, John Joe. Him on 29. Him on 29. Almiron on 28. <laughs> The, the next the next number um is Callum is is Carl Darlow on 25 and Callum Wilson on 23 uh, and then uh, Isaac Hayden I think on 22 what does that tell us um that Steve Bruce simply did not know his best team until right uh, at the end of the season it's a quite shocking statistic that and I've got some bad ones to go through later on in the show but that in <laughs> itself, that describes chaos. Do you know what I mean? That describes chaos. Frequent player changes, um, 
constantly changing formations. This this is a season, and I've fucking talked about this all year on the podcast, and probably lots on Patreon as well, and Patreon podcasts that we do and will do all summer. Um, maybe I'll give that a little plug later. See Bruce talked incessantly in preseason about playing two strikers and playing four at the back. We spent the whole of CC preseason and the friendlies playing four four two, which which was good. I'm I'm all for that. I, you know, would rather see us score some goals occasionally, and I don't think we'll have to play five at the back. I can admit the system has helped at the end of the season. Blah blah blah. Steve Bruce talked about playing four four two. We played every preseason game four four two. We played the first three games of the season four four two. Um, our first two games, sorry, uh, with um, West Ham and then Blackburn. Didn't concede a goal. After one defeat, <laughs> one defeat to Brighton. And it was a bad one. Don't get us wrong. It was a bad defeat. After one defeat, he went back to 5-3-2 or 5-4-1 or whatever you want to call it. That That is not normal at top-level football. Do you know what I mean? Te- teams don't spend the whole of a preseason, all their preseason friendlies in the start of the season, training and playing a certain style only to revert after one disaster and it it signifies a lack of belief in themselves in the players in the system in the coaching staff like there's probably some great shit the bed moments from the whole of history not just football but i reckon that would be pretty pretty near the top so in terms of like back to the the, the use of just players you know talking about my, my original question i suppose that i want to come on to about where, where, what could it have been like? Where should it have been if it wasn't for Bruce's failings or player failings or COVID, whatever excuse or reason there is about why Newcastle finished where they did? Going back to that little run after eleven games, Norman, and you are right, it was an earlier, you know, dip season, different in terms of, you know, the fixtures because we started a few weeks later and fixtures were um, constant midweek for a long time, all that kind of stuff. But the the thing I want to say is that in Steve Bruce, even pre-season even pre-season, was talking about injuries, saying we need luck with injuries. And that's fine, okay? That's fine. But some of Newcastle's darkest days this season have included Callum Wilson, that Leeds game, the Fulham game, the Brentford game. Callum Wilson played all three of those games, um, scored against a, penalty, a most undeserved penalty against Fulham. So my question to you, lads, is, and I mean it for all of you, even even you and Norman and you, Ben, about what you were saying about expectation and the fact that you finished we finished a decent position compared to the expectation. Where do you think a squad like this could have finished this season, both with injuries, a, a team and a formation played consistently? Um, well, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but 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 if but if I'm saying Mickey, you as well. We're saying we've had a really bad season. You're saying it's been a disaster. Well, fucking hell, if, if, if we've played pretty much three quarters of a season without knowing we're best team, without most of our best players, and I'm, I'm not just going to include um, some Max Mann and Callum Wilson. Let's look at Isaac Hayden, who would be a shoo-in. Let's look at Jamal Lascelles. I mean, let me have a really quick look there about how many games Jamal Lascelles only made 20 Premier League appearances. He's missed, he's missed half a season. Martin Dubravka has missed half a season. Matt Ritchie, even though he wasn't injured, has missed half a season. Just how high would the ceiling be? Anyone can take this question, whoever has the, the strongest desire to answer. Just how high is the ceiling for this squad? Because if I'm, I feel like if I'm saying we're fucking shite and it's the manager's fault, then fucking <laughs> how good could we be if, if all of these things I'm talking about that went wrong, went right? And, and is that realistic? Because 
I'm always talking myself into thinking here fucking hell. We're not that good. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're, not a top six, we're not a top six side, but so much went wrong this season and we've finished 12th. We could I'm have not, been. I'm myself. I mean, I, I, as I say, the, the, I've mentioned the four teams above where I don't think we're a million miles away from them in terms of that they've got, well, I suppose you look at Leeds. So Leeds played some great football, but bloody hell, they shipped some goals. Like, not a great defensive side. They had some real problems, and it's still one of the criticisms of Bielsa in terms of you think about how what's their ceiling. Well, it's not very high unless they can stop um, keeping teams from scoring against them. Um, Villa, as you say, had an unbelievable turnaround. I mean, 17th last year, and, and were a worse team than we were to then jumping up and some of the results they had were unbelievable but again massively reliant on on Grealish and if any if if he gets injured and and or teams work out how to stop him um which they haven't done yet to be fair but if if they could then again they they aren't a great team outside of that that bubble um and then Arsenal are just a shambles I, I still think Arteta is still trying to find out his best team still hasn't found it um their big name players let them down so I, I don't think we're a million miles away from them. So, I mean, that's, you're looking at like eighth position there. I mean, Everton are kind of the funny one that I don't know how we beat them twice. And you look at the, their team, they're, they're a really, really strong squad, got a great manager. Um, should I don't really know how they've dropped the bullet that they did and, and finished as low as they did. Um, that home form is just mental. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think they've put in their best away record for the club. It was a club record away season, but the home one was the worst they've ever had. So, goodness knows what's happened there. But you kind of expect them to go. So, I mean, realistically, I would say Villa, Leeds and Arsenal are probably the three that I will be kind of looking next year that we could probably reel in and, and get a bit closer to. Um, I mean, it's an interesting, though, like you, you, you've referenced a few things there. It's funny that the this t- it's, I think it's it's not just the the managers necessary. This team are very streaky. We've already said it. I mean, how many times have we had bad runs under the previous manager? Where would I mean we didn't win a game for for nine or ten games a couple of seasons ago, um, and they always finish strongly. They always have a really good end of the season. So if you take Bruce out of the equation, the season's kind of gone similar to what this this group of players are capable of. And I think that's the problem is that there's not that consistency there that they don't generally start seasons particularly great, um, but they finish strongly. But it's that kind of, that there is a ceiling to these players. I don't, it, it is interesting, I suppose, because you, you're saying there, Dodgy, about where could they get? I don't think they could get much higher because I think there is limits to their players. I mean, let's be honest, Matt Ritchie, for as much as we love him, and he, he had a massive impact this season, but he's not a, a, a top top quality player that every other team's thinking, oh, well, I'd love love him to be on our side. He's a grafter and he's got a lot of good characteristics, but as a player, he is limited. Um, I mean, the one thing I would say is, is you've got a striker in Wilson that is capable of. If you've got a, a striker that can guarantee you twenty goals, I mean, how many games did you say you played this season? Twenty. 23. Uh, 23. Yeah. So two two thirds of a season, but imagine you played another third of the season, maybe got another five, six goals. So you, you're not a million miles away from 20 goal season striker. Um, that that should be enough to push you up and, and get you into sort of that back end of the top 10. Um, and to me, that's kind of where I see this team being capable of, is that I think the trajectory, and we've added some good players. I mean, as I say, Maximan, Almiron, Wilson all on the pitch together. Um, obviously, you throw in Joe Willock, who's obviously not going to be prob- probably not going to be there next season. But for that, where that team was, obviously for this season, there was there was 
some strength in that team, but um, equally, it is just the, these are streaky players, and we go through highs and lows with confidence. I think when they're in confident, they can beat anyone, but we know that confidence is, the confidence is very fragile that we can get battered. So I, th- I think there's a couple of teams above with it we could look to to, to chase, but um, I think that's probably the max. Like, I'd, I'd realistically, I'd probably say eighth is probably the sort of the ceiling of this team at the minute. I but look, look, I completely agree with that. But I think the squad of players, I think that team, look, it's capable of better. Yes, it's all down to the way I look at it when you've got a squad like that. So you, let's say, you know, you look at Leeds, right? Leeds have got Rafinha, but Maximan is our Rafinha, is our Rafinha, right? To a certain extent. Look at Leeds defenders. Look at our defenders. Much of a difference? Not really. Look at, um, I don't know. Players like Stuart, um, Stuart Dallas, Alioski. Well, you know, we can we can see Richie's past it, but is Richie any worse than like someone like Alioski? Possibly not. No, right? Bamford, Wilson, Wilson's way better than Bamford. So this to me comes down to coaching, management, and tactical capacity, right? Now, if we've got a squad that is as capable as Leeds' squad, as capable as West Ham's squad, which I believe it is, right? You put the right person in charge, and there's no reason we can't be where they are, right? Leeds finished in ninth, and you might think, oh, ninth to twelfth, that's not much. Leeds finished on 59 points. They're like six points off, basically, or six or seven points off finishing fifth. They're like, you know, three wins off the Champions League. So to finish ninth on 59 points is is huge. So if we finish ninth on 59 points, playing the kind of football that Leeds do, that to me would represent real progress. And I think this squad has the capacity to do that. It is down to coaching, it's down to management. And Steve Bruce, and again, as I say, in context, getting with the 12th based on his managerial history is an achievement for him, right? So that, that's what you got. It's an achievement for him. But ultimately, you put someone like Bielsa in charge of that Newcastle squad, then they're all capable of more. They are capable of more because the players aren't, in general, much worse than West Ham. I look at West Ham's defence. You're telling me Craig Dawson is like a player who would walk in a Newcastle's team if he was in the squad right now, ahead of someone like Ferdinand Fernandes. I don't believe, I don't believe there he is. Mikel Antonio is a fantastic player. Is he as good as Cam Wilson? I don't know. Maybe he isn't. Um, Bruin, is Bruin really that good? Well, he's all right, but is he any better than Miguel Almiron, perhaps? So I think the players are there, the potential's there. It is all about coaching and management. So while Steve Bruce is in charge, I think 12th place is as good as it's going to get. With a manager, I think, of a higher calibre than him, I don't see why the squad couldn't finish in a lead-type position on those points. It's kind of the beauty of football is that it's impossible to say, though, isn't it? There's so many variables, so many things that can that can change or go wrong or go right. That to to put a to put a ceiling on this team and the, the players that we've got is is virtually impossible. I mean, you look you look back at the Pardew season when we finished fifth. Everything that could have gone right for us went right for us all season. Like we had no injuries. We played we played virtually the same eleven in every single game. Like we, we won a lot of games by small margins. Um, so this Newcastle United is never realistically going to achieve that unless we get another kind of miracle run of luck like we did in that year. Um, but but you think about what Ben said earlier and, and being in and around the top 10, that, that is what this, this squad for me is capable of. And you look around our squad at, at some of our players and think about what they will be able to achieve in a better a better side than ours. Put, put Callum Wilson in Leeds, Leeds team this year. And, and and assume that he plays most of the season, so has has a reasonably injury-free season. He's twenty to twenty-five goals. Put Sir Maximan in a better side. Play play him at uh, play him at Villa with Grealish. Play him play him in an Everton side with James Rodriguez and uh, Calvert Lewin up front. And he he wins rings around people and and creates chances and creates goals. Miguel Almiron, put him in a team that where he doesn't have to do a massive amount of defensive work, where he doesn't play like virtually defensive midfield for like a third of the season, where he doesn't miss a load of games for no good reason, despite being one of our best players. 
he has a great season and he does really well. So that the, there's a lot of key things that could change with this Newcastle team at the moment that would mean we'll be better. But if we're realistic about it, you know, you look at the weaker links in our team and in our squad, especially when you think about the size of the squad and the depth of the squad, how high can we get up the league? Probably not a massive amount further than we are in terms of positioning, in terms of points, and definitely in terms of performance, we can be significantly better than we have been. And my, you know, my score of three, I would have been comfortable giving a better than three score for us finishing lower in the league if it hadn't been so dismal for such long periods of it. But so performance-wise and and, and points-wise, we could be we could be quite a lot better. But you know, ninth, eighth is probably the ceiling in a, in a in a realistic season where the the points totals are spread in the usual way throughout the league, which they haven't quite been this year. I've got some some stats to support that, Norman. You 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 sent me the first one um, to give you credit, and that's so Martin Dubravka is a big one, isn't he? I think everyone can agree one of Newcastle's best players. Crucial player, fantastic, really good business by the club to get him on a, a long-term contract this season. You know, a bit of good business there. Um, so, yeah, he was injured for the first half of the season. We all know that. Carl Dolo comes in and does very well. Saves points for Newcastle. Brilliant. Um, but when Dubravka was back and fit and in the team, uh, with Dubravka in the team, played 13, lost three, drew 5-1-5, average points to game 1.38. With Dubravka on the bench... Behind Dolo, played 11, lost 8, drew 1-1-2 points per game, 0.63. So Newcastle picked up double the amount of points per game with Dubravka in the team. And you might say, you know, would he have, Dubravka have won as any points in those games? He made a slight mistake for one or two goals. Is it that important? And I would disagree with you because I saw some, some stuff on social media where people were saying, yeah, you, you couldn't praise Cardola's performances and then say we miss Martin Dubravka, but you can. I think you can. Dubravka brings more than shot stopping. I think Cardolo is an excellent shot stopper. I, I think he commands his area poorly. He's poor coming for crosses. He's poor with the ball at his feet. And he's also not great at organising and marshalling defence. Dubravka is a top quality goalkeeper in all of those categories and makes a massive difference to the team in terms of organisation. That's just one player. You might think, all right, well, that's just one player. Steve Bruce is Steve Bruce. He always picks players who are playing well and doing well. If there's a goalkeeper who's doing well on the team, they need to make a massive error to be dropped. Okay, let's talk about Matt Ritchie. <laughs> Matt Ritchie, who spent, I think, only six games this season injured. I think he was available for the rest of the season. Four games a season earlier on, he didn't make the bench, by the way. Just, just through not being selected, didn't make the bench. Um, with Matt Ritchie in the team, played 15, lost 5, drew 6-1-7. Points per game, 1.38. Same as Dubravka, exact same points per game. Um, without him in the team, I've realised I've cocked up my statistics there, so never mind. But without him in the team, way less. You'd have to take <laughs> word for it. But um, basically, Matt Ritchie and Martin Dubravka were available for a third of the season. Ritchie, two-thirds of the season, but just weren't selected. That's not like getting the selection slightly wrong. When you look at those statistics there, and that's skewed possibly because of the good end the whole team had to the end of the season with St. Maximan back, with, with Wilson back for a little bit. But we'll talk about the higher ceiling of the team. We're talking about the season just gone. I honestly think, particularly going back to that beautiful December day, even though we played trade against West Brom and we're so close to like actually having a season, the manager just consistently failed to find solutions to problems. And there were plenty of problems. And it's almost like that's the point of Steve Bruce. 
Okay, Steve Bruce was brought in to find a, to a solution to Newcastle being in China for pre-season and not having a manager. Steve Bruce was a solution to that problem. What 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 are Newcastle's problems now? What are Newcastle's problems being this season? Well, I, I'll give you statistically some of Newcastle's problems this season. All right, I've had a look at the statistics for Newcastle compared to the rest of the other teams in the league. Making this feeds into your point about how bad the performances have been and how undeserved often points have been. All right, so um, only uh, West Brom and Sheffield United had less shots on ga- uh, per game on average. We had ten shots per game on average. Only those two teams had less. Um, only West Brom had less possession in the whole of the Premier League. Um, and by the way, they had comfortably more possession with, than us um, on average before Sam Allardyce took over. So that we would have finished bottom had West Brom not made that change. Um, there were only three worst teams in terms of passing accuracy in the league. Um, and that was um, Burnley, West Brom, Sheffield United. Um, only Burnley and Man City um, made less tackles. Man City, for obvious reasons, because they've got the ball. So we don't tackle anyone. Um, only West Brom conceded more shots per game than Newcastle. Um, only uh, Sheffield United made fewer interceptions per game than Seabrook's Newcastle team. Um, only three teams, sorry, only West Brom conceded more goals at home. We have the worst home defensive record in our Premier League history, going back to season 93-94, I believe. Um and only three teams scored more penalties than us. And I can think of four penalties off the bat that I don't think we deserved. <laughs> um, so when you look at those stats there, you think, fucking hell, Newcastle are dog shit. Like, they really, really are a dog shit team. So we'll finish 12th, and that's fantastic. But one of the reasons I think many fans are so negative about this, one of the reasons a lot of fans maybe begrudge the team finishing as high and the manager finishing as high, no one I want to come to you on that in a minute. But I think the reason is, is, we're talking about other ceilings of this team. We're talking about what could be if you pick the right players and you play the right formation. You don't fuck about in preseason playing a formation you're going to ditch after two games. You pick your, you, you pick players in the right positions. You play your best goalkeeper. You keep your players fit. And, and who knows what could happen? I think the problem, and people can get in touch, tweet us, whatever, you know, always up for the conversation if you think I'm wrong here. But I think a lot of Newcastle fans think we have just seen the ceiling under Steve Bruce. That this is the best it will get and it feels shit. It feels empty and it feels boring because it ain't going to get any better than this because next season when we come back, we're going to have the same issues. And, and to throw another one in there, throw another issue, what's the solution in Newcastle not signing Joe Willock, by the way? Because if we don't sign him, and fair play to Steve Bruce, he identified Joe Willock and he went out and got him. Well done. Really good. Got an eye for a player, clearly. Congratulations. And I'm not being sarcastic there. That is a fantastic signing to bring in on loan. Jeff Hendrick ain't scoring those eight goals. Do you know what I mean? Isaac Hayden, if he stays fit, is not scoring those goals. If Newcastle don't score those eight goals and get those points, the season's a different. So I don't think we'd have gone down because at the end of the day, it was the lowest points total ever needed to stay in the Premier League this year. So survival's not really that much of a, a talking point, in my opinion. Um, you know, there are a number of problems still from those statistics there to this Newcastle United side. And I feel that most fans feel that Steve Bruce doesn't have the answers. And if we finish 12th again next season, it'll be some sort of small small miracle based on those statistics. I don't know who wants to talk about that. I definitely agree. It, it would be a miracle. You don't, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice. You don't, you don't have that barrage of like, 
massively negative stats about your team over the course of a 38 game season, which is a long time. It's a lot of football. Um, 38 games of 93 minutes to be in the bottom three for all of the key statistics over over the course of a season is horrific. Um, and it, you know, that means we're worse than at least one of the relegated sides, more often than not, more than one of the relegated sides in every one of those key parameters, which is dismal. You're not going to finish 12th doing that more than once, but like no way is it going to happen again. And the team is going to be worse next year because we're not going to have Willock. Some of the older lads are going to be a year older. There's, there's three, four, five you know, first-team players that are whose contracts are up for renewal next year. Supposedly, we've got a transfer budget, if you believe what you read in the papers, of £12 million, which buys you just absolutely nothing um, in, in today's market. What, what's going to happen next year? That's you know, that's kind of part of the part of the problem of this year is that you just, like you say, Alex, this is the ceiling, and and you were right at the ceiling, and and even getting to that ceiling, it's been horrendous. Like it's been horrendous to watch. It's been dismal to watch. It's been dismal to talk about. It's been dismal to listen about. It's been horrendous having to listen to the national press and the pundits talk about how good a job the manager's doing when when we can see with our own eyes and the, the statistics prove that the, f- the football has been turgid and, and our position in the league and our points in the league are not deserved. I, I think next year will be a massive struggle to not be relegated. And we, we, we mark my words, we were lucky this year that there was three really bad teams in the Premier League, really, really shocking football teams that have, that have all deservedly gone down. That is the main reason that Newcastle United have stayed in the league this year. But would you, well, just to play devil's advocate, Mickey, surely there was five teams below us who would have gone down first because we finished higher than them. There was, but if you ask the fans of those clubs how how bad a season they've had, I bet they would. I bet the average score would be higher than four. Yeah, I agree. It's a good comeback. Norman, I touched on there. I touched on a lot of things, but one of the things you wanted to talk about, and I think this comes back in the relation about how it feels the twelfth place finish, how it feels, and, and some fans begrudge. You know, those last two wins, for example, weren't particularly enjoyable to watch. I get it. Some people say, if you can't watch your team win and be happy, will you ever be happy? Fine. We'll maybe have that conversation another day. But does what the manager say and the way he behaves about all of these things, classic example, last game of the season, just finished 12th, wants people to eat humble pie, is what he does and says, does it have as much of an impact as the bad performances? Are you saying that it's not all about the accumulation of points? (laughs) <laughs> um, the uh, the way Steve Bruce conducts himself in interviews at press conferences makes him a very difficult person to like from a fan's perspective I think how he's spoken about fans has been contemptuous um, he's accused fans of being histrionic abusing them um, and look there would have been undoubtedly abuse on social media there would have been people throwing personally insulted him on social media, but this isn't, it's not like people are in stadiums doing what they did with Alan Pardew, for example, and basically booing him with such veracity, such such force that he wouldn't even come out of the dugout. This this hasn't happened. I actually think that Steve Bruce has had a fairly easy ride when I think back of what Newcastle managers have, have gone through when fans have been in stadiums in, in the past. That You know, I've seen... Um, really strong chance of, of managers out, like Jim Smith, for example. The, the the abuse was incessant for more or less the whole of the 1991 season. Um, and Bruce seems to think that it's coming at him from all angles, when ultimately all he gets is complete and utter support 
more or less, bar Craig Hoop, who, you know, that, that's a whole different story with the, the tweet that his own sons put out this week on Steve Bruce, um, sorry, on, on, on Craig Hoop. He, he gets support across the board. So when he comes out and says things like eating humble pie, um, when he comes out and accuses people of being histrionic and basically tries to frame it like he's doing a fantastic job and incredibly testing circumstances when the world's against him, it makes every single point that he collects, in my opinion, quite hard to stomach. Like it, it really does. And and also, I think getting forty five points, and as Mickey's said on on several occasions now, the performances have been like for the most part for the two years he's been here, they've been absolutely atrocious. Like they've been abysmal. Like put it this way, if Newcastle had been hovering around eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth all season, right, and we finished in twelfth, you you might think, well, you know what? Actually, we've been sound all season. We've we played poor football, but we haven't had any relegation battle. We moved up to 12th on the last day of the season and basically three weeks ago, we're like, we're fourth bottom, but we've been struggling all season. A lot of teams who'd already secured their Premier League status have just collapsed at the end of the season and we've ultimately taken advantage of that, right? So it's kind of almost polished a turd, right? It has finishing 12th in many in many respects. And the fact that this has happened, we've got 45 points, we're finishing 12th and Bruce is telling people to eat humble pie is making it very difficult to look at this in any is any sense, in any kind of way of being an achievement. He's... um. He's somebody who I think, if he'd been himself more humble, honest, not as hypercritical of the fans, I'd probably have a lot more sympathy and a lot more respect for, for what he's actually done in, to a certain extent, the testing circumstances of working for a chairman who doesn't necessarily want to own the club. But ultimately, how he talks about fans and how he frames his own personal persecution and, word, and the words my attitude... It, it almost it almost stops me enjoying wins, which is an absolute madness as a fan. It really is. Whether that's reparable or not, whether 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 it's possible to repair that, I don't know. Because he's he's a 60, 61 year old who's been managing for twenty years. I don't see some overnight epiphany where he comes back next season and starts saying, you know what? Actually, I'm going to be a lot more respectful of fans, and I'm going to be a bit more honest. I can't see that happening. So, repairing his relationship with the fans who already dislike him, that's going to be tough, right? Very tough, very tough. Um, we'll crack on. I think you've covered it all perfectly there. And I know for a fact a lot of Newcastle fans feel exactly the, the way you do because we'll talk about it and I say it on social media. And I think everyone wants the team to win and everyone wants the team to do well. But it's like when we beat Leicester 4-2 in what we'll talk about games of the season later, but I'm sure that's up there for everyone. Why go on Why go on national radio to uh, to abuse the fans and, and criticise a, a journalist in the North East? Like... It, again, it makes me worry as a fan that that this is the ceiling. Do you know what I mean? When your manager, um, in his reaction after a massive win against a great team, isn't to think, well, you know, fantastic, let's do that again against Manchester City. And the Manchester City performance was okay. But it was to ring up TalkSport, criticise the fans and criticise the journalists. You just think, how how long can it go on? How, how long can it go on with a manager with all of the problems that we've talked about? If that's his concern and that's his focus, and his focus isn't making Newcastle United better every single day, there's only so long you can survive in the Premier League with that kind of attitude, in my opinion. Could be wrong. Let's talk about players, lads. Let's talk about players across the season. Ben, I know you wanted to talk about um, Bruce and the players that he signed and the new lads and how they've done. I don't know whether you want to include Graham Jones in that. England's Graham Jones, by the way, as, as is now. But uh, I'll, I'll pass the mic over to you, mate. Yeah, just obviously we're talking about discussion points and I think it's it's interesting obviously 
Um, he's he's had a lot of <laughs> a lot of backing from from the club uh, the last couple of seasons, and um, I think one of the, the the biggest sort of key areas for for this team reaching that ceiling is that um, because we know that there's there's not unlimited resources there. It's it's finite. There's there's not a huge amount of, to come in. Um, you have to nail all all of the signings pretty much. I think every season um, you you need to hit on pretty much. I mean, so we, we had five signings this season. You, you probably need to hit on on, on four of them to, to kind of see that progression. Um, obviously, we brought in Wilson, who um, has matched all expectations in terms of came in. He's, he's a brilliant striker. He's a prop air number nine. Does everything you want. Um, and we, we've said already on this podcast, he's the type of player that should be making the difference to get us into that top 10 and 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 um, pushing higher. Um we obviously um, he, we missed missed him for a few games this season, but as you said, he, he was in within the team. Um, so for some of the, sort of the lowest points, but um, a lot of that again was down to the, the fact that we didn't have the team around him for for a lot of the games in terms of the support, um, and it, it it was kind of the the catalyst, I suppose, was was the Graham Jones sort of introduction and, and obviously that Everton game where he, he kind of came alive and that was probably one of his strongest performances of the season. He looked unplayable that day um, and, and showed kind of the potential that, that he, he's, he's capable of. Um, so you've got to say, obviously, we've, we've nailed that. And, and to be fair to, to Bruce as well, um, I'm sure Wilson had a lot of suitors in the summer. Um, that was a great coup to get him and at 20 million is, is an absolute snip. Um, so that's an amazing sort of bit of business to to get Wilson to come obviously to, to the club and and buy into to whatever vision he'd been sold because I'm sure he's a player on the cusp of the England team. I mean you you, you kind of wonder he couldn't have been a million miles away from from being in, included in that if he'd have stayed fit and and uh and, and continued sort of his, his his form trajectory all the way through the season. Um he he's a player capable of playing for England. I think he's obviously had caps in the past, um. So he's he, he's a he's a top quality player who we've got at the prime of his career, um. And that 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 was a massive sign. And if if we can keep him for a number of years, then that's something to build on and and, and a massive positive. Um. Obviously the Willicks Willick loan signing, um. I think we all thought he'd be a good a good addition, a a, a, a an improvement on what we had, but. I, you nobody was expecting the, the return that we got. I mean, obviously seven and seven um, for the end of the season, and funnily enough, he, he kind of took on that that position that I think we we'd kind of all been um, wondering who the hell is going to going to play that kind of focal point of, of the midfield and sort of getting forward to support the the, the strikers. We've, we've really really struggled in that, and obviously Almiron's kind of not been played there when we a lot of us were calling out for that um but i think what you you see with the album on playing that position is his, his goal output isn't isn't enough he, he, he misses a lot of chances and he's maybe doesn't carry the threat but willick came in and I mean, you just have to look at that goal against fulham on the on the last day i mean he carries the ball from deep runs 40 50 yards and um, gets a bit lucky with with, with obviously the, the the initial shot sort of come back to him but we don't have another player in the team that, that scores that goal um, so, and, and as you said, Dodzy, like that was a player that Bruce identified, said we need him. Um, a little bit odd that he wasn't brought, introduced and in, in kind of playing as much initially. Obviously, we, the, the Tottenham games come off the bench very late on and, and next to the, the equaliser. Um, 
but I, I suppose my that would be my only criticism was that I don't think we utilised him as as effectively from the beginning. But the end result was was unbelievable, and he's he's been a brilliant brilliant signing. But then I, I, I look at the other kind of three first teamers that that were brought in. So um, Hendrick um, just does not look. And to be fair, um, I, I called it when we signed him. I just did not see how he was going to be a player that would come in and improve us. Um, I think the type of role he did for for Burnley was. He's basically like a poor man's John Joe Shelby without the passing, without sort of the the, the technical ability, um, and and he, he he just got found wanting uh, in a lot of games. And I think he was a um, a critical player at times during that bad run where um, he just offered nothing to the team. And it's it's a bit worrying that okay, we didn't spend a huge amount of money on him. He's a free transfer, but the the sort of the resources that have gone onto his wages, I'm sure he's 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 not badly paid. So. You think that's quite an investment to um, kind of invest in in a position and for a player that that just hasn't worked. Um, Jamal Lewis, obviously. So we're going to talk about in a second, Ben, because Mickey <laughs> was dead, dead keen to talk about Newcastle centre oh, in the season. So we'll bring him on in this and then go back to Lewis. Go on then. Go on then. Well, it's linked, it's linked well, isn't it, when you're talking about uh, Jeff Hendrick, who has had just virtually no impact this season. Nobody was excited about him signing, and then he, he started reasonably well playing on the right hand side. You remember, he scored, I think he scored and got an assist in his first two games, um, despite not being particularly good. And you thought, you know, just maybe he might have an all right season. They didn't, obviously, he had a terrible season. And you look at that, you look at the center of the park for Newcastle United, and you just think, where where is the quality and how do we improve it? And you know, we brought in Joe Willock for the second half of the season, played him sparingly, I would say, compared to what we could have. Um, and he's done a great job, but even even he probably isn't the solution. You know, he's 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 done very well in in terms of his forward play, um, and obviously his goal scoring's been absolutely tremendous. But is he the solution of uh, of of one of a two man midfield or one of, or even one of a three man midfield? If it's a flat three that we seem to be intent on playing, um, if there's going to be two strikers and five at the back, is is he one of those? I don't I, I don't necessarily think that he is in the long term in a long term vision. And you look at the rest of the lads that are at the club. Alex, you mentioned before Isaac Hayden, who's missed the end of the season through injury. He he is the one that I would say should be starting in the Premier League for Newcastle United. And he can he can operate in a, a specific role, the defensive role, sweeping up, tackling a lot, breaking up play for the opposition, giving the ball to more creative players on our side to to then progress up the pitch and do something do something for us. The rest of the lads we've got at the, at the in the squad at the minute, discounting Joe Willock, who isn't going to be here next season, uh, by the looks of it, are not are not at the moment good enough and do and, and also if if they are going to be good enough they aren't ever going to be good enough in the system that bruce has developed for them sean longstaff has has regressed as a player under under steve bruce massively over the last two years mike longstaff can't get a sniff john joe shelby has been the most consistent in terms of appearances player in the newcastle United squad this year and I, I that's something that i just you know it just absolutely blows my mind like every single week we talk about him on the podcast and say he shouldn't be in the team he doesn't offer enough. He doesn't have the legs. He kind of tackle. I read. I read a while ago. He's got the worst, the worst tackling statistics for any central midfielder in the Premier League in history. Now that might be exaggerated. I, I did genuinely read that. I don't can't remember where, but it wouldn't surprise me if that was true. Like those players aren't good enough for Newcastle United to progress, and I I don't see what the solution is because we don't have the money, and the owner doesn't have the appetite, and the manager probably doesn't have the 
vision to bring in a player that's going to solve that problem to play in central midfield and, and quite a difficult system to play central midfield in. And I, I, I seriously worry. And that for me is the, the reason why this Newcastle team will not progress, particularly under this manager, but, but possibly without as well, is we, we don't have anyone that's good enough to play in the middle of the park as a top-class Premier League midfielder. Compare us with a lot of the other teams in the Premier League. That That's really, for me, where we're, we're massively behind everyone else and it's arguably the most important position on the pitch. Ben, Lewis? Yeah, I mean, Jamal Lewis is probably one of the ones most disappointed in just I, I think obviously I mean I wasn't expecting a huge amount from obviously Norris for a relegated side he, he he struggled a bit but um we we know what we've been lacking for for years as a as a club is we've, we've never really had a, a true sort of all-round left back and um, we've obviously kind of had Dummett who plays pretty much as a, a, a sort of defensive fullback doesn't really get forward doesn't really offer anything um and I thought Lewis would come in and at least give us a bit of energy and a bit of um, just just more options in terms of the, the attacking intent. And obviously, um, the the kind of all the talk pre-season from, from Bruce and for a lot of the time was about sort of playing front foot football, playing more attacking, trying to sort of get get further up the pitch. Um, Jamal Lewis should have should have been a massive part of that. Um, and unfortunately, for whatever reason. I, th- I think he just doesn't look like he's settled. Um, I don't think Bruce has, has helped him either in terms of um, he's, he's obviously the support he's been given and, and in terms of the, the, the players that have sort of been played around him and, and the, the style of football and things like that. I just don't think they've um, contributed to us. I mean, you look at, at the impact Richie's had um, coming in, playing in that same role, um, and he, he's... He's been so much more um, looked looked more comfortable, and there's probably elements of, um, of of confidence in that in terms of obviously Lewis is adapting to a new team and and he's still a young player and things like that. But um, I just think he he was one of probably the the most disappointing bit of business we did because I I kind of expected a lot more from him. Um, now he's a young player; he's obviously he could still turn this around and, and become a great player. But I think he was the one I kind of expected more from um, to to be able to come in and and. Give us a bit of a give us a bit of a push from sort of attacking fullbacks, and in fact, it's it's ended up being Richie and Murphy um, that have come in and done that role. So, I think that that was probably the most disappointing bit of business, and that it was a decent investment in him, and he's I think he's got potential, but we've we've just not seen anywhere near that. I think that with a player like Lewis. And also, like a lot of young players who come through, or a lot of young players that might be signed based on a decent season in the Premier League, I think if they're, if they're going into a team that isn't battling relegation, they'll probably settle in a lot better, right? Lewis is coming straight into a, a, a poor side in terms of, you know, well, we are, we are poor side, right? We know that, yes, okay, the players have got ability, we've discussed that. But in terms of where we are as a Premier League club, we're, we're always going to, we've been struggling for years ever since we come back up ultimately. And I think Lewis and, and someone like Sean Longstaff and someone like Matty Longstaff, for example, although Matty probably hasn't played enough for me to, to really form this opinion, but ultimately I think these players, because they're not like spectacularly gifted talents, that the potential rate that needs developing. So they need um, micromanaging, they need taking a tactical input, they need talking to throughout the whole game, you know, like they need giving encouragement, they need the, the experienced players to, to help them grow. Whereas someone like Willock comes in, right? A kid who's come out through the Arsenal Academy, which is superb as well, 
but also as a very, very talented player. He's, he's more he's more naturally talented than any of those players I mentioned. So he comes in and he can more or less hit the ground running because he doesn't necessarily need that that kind of tackling input. He will in a, he will in a season or two's time in, in order to, to develop even further, but he's already at a better level than those lads. Those lads need more support. And due to Jamal Lewis, I don't think would have got it at Newcastle. So for me, he hasn't necessarily been disappointing because... I think he's always a player I thought he's going to need a lot of time spent on him. And he was never going to get it at Newcastle under Steve Bruce, under that coaching staff and in a team that, that struggles against relegation. And you say that we brought back in Matt Ritchie because Matt, Matt Ritchie is an experienced battle-hardened Premier League player. There's still potentially over Lewis and, long, and the Longstaff brothers. But whether it's going to happen at Newcastle under the current regime, I don't know. Um, Keith Gillespie, I've just recorded a podcast with him this evening um, for patrons. So if you're watching this for free and you want to hear Keith Gillespie's opinions on the season, which are really obviously um insightful coming from a kind of ex-pro's point of view it's it's really interesting to hear what he said he spoke about lewis he's a he's a compatriot right i mean they put the both northern irish so keith's got like uh he's always kind of looking looking out for those northern irish players and he said he's been disappointed by jamal lewis's progression because he, he thought he was really going to kick on this season um so it's interesting to hear that he's disappointed whereas on, on, on a personal perspective i'm not necessarily so because i just feel that he he is a good player, but he, he probably needs a lot more than he's than he's got it uh, in Newcastle. And I could die. Yeah. Do you want me to, oh, sorry, I, I don't know if you want to add that, Alex, because I, I was going to start like, just going off on a tangent talking about not playing with strikers. I don't know if it's appropriate to do that right now. <laughs> no, I think I think they're all really good points, uh, Norman and Ben and Mickey. You know, the, like I said before, what, what we've kind of had this to some people and to the manager clearly this kind of euphoric finish. Yeah, there's lots and lots of problems out ahead of next season, and although there's a different time scale between you know the end of this season and the next season compared to the last one you know are we confident that Steve Bruce and his coaching staff are going to be able to fix those seasons are they even aware that those problems exist now Graham Jones is off with England for yes you assume now until hopefully July 11th Euro 2020 final so he's not going to be that he's not I'm sure there's contact between him and his employer in Newcastle United but I agree with everything you've all said there. You won't hit the nail on the head. But, Norman, let's talk about one of the lows of the season, not playing with any strikers. I Can I just see a Southgate and Jones? Sounds like an 80s cop show, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, not, not playing with strikers is spectacular because, look, I think certain clubs can play without strikers, right? Man City can play without strikers when you've got, like, you know, Torres and Mares out wide for you um, and you've got, you know, the, like De Bruyne running through the middle. Um, I think Man United when they've got Fernandez kind of as a, as a number 10 without a strike in front of them, but they've got Rashford and Greenwood outweighed. You can do it then. With Joe Linton outweighed and another, um, or even Dwight Gale, who bizarrely we've had, we've seen him as a wide striker without any strikers through the middle. I, it's, it's, not, it's not sustainable for a club that's in our position. We need to have, we always need to have a focal point on the pitch. We need to have somebody who can hold up the ball. We need to have somebody who can stretch a defence, somebody who can create space. And the big worry is, is that last season, we did play without a striker. And when Wilson's injured, when Wilson, when Wilson's not the team, we play without strikers, right? Or we put Alan Sam Maximan through the middle, which is an absolute madness. Even if Sam Maximan insists on playing through the middle, the manager should put his foot down and say, no, no, because it's a waste of his talent. Um, we've seen Miguel Almiron kind of almost as a focal point. We've seen the, the two number 10s, which is a, you know, like a, a new tactical innovation that doesn't seem to have worked. Um, yeah, we've seen... We've seen various combinations of a, of a sort of front three when Callum Wilson's been out the side. Well, the main one, Norman, was was West Brom away in, in Villa at home, possibly, when he played Joe Linton and Ryan Fraser. 
There's two split strikers, and it just went. It went. It went as as everyone, Barsty, Bruce, and Graham would have thought it would go. <laughs> it, 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 it brings a whole new um, dimension to the uh, big man, little man up front, and it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, what, what we, what we, what I want to see next season is I never want to see we not play strikers again unless we go out on you know in the summer and bring in like Mares and Greenwood if, if that happens fair enough bit different but um, yeah the the reality is we need to play a striker and what does that tell you that tells you that we need to go out in the summer and mention Willock or someone of his ilk absolute necessity but so is bringing in another forward who can play when Callum Wilson's either injured or and this will happen out of form he needs competition there. Dwight Gale is a centre forward. But now that he's in the no man's land between the Premier League and, and the Championship, he's probably Championship now. But ultimately, regardless of that, Bruce doesn't believe in him. He clearly doesn't believe in him because he doesn't give enough opportunities to. When Wilson was injured, you'd think Dwight Gale bang straight in, shoe in. Joe Linton isn't a striker. That's quite obvious. So we need to get into the summer. Like we need to be looking at players in the Premier League who we can get on loan from other clubs, and we need to show a bit of ambition and we need to try and get into. This sound, might sound fantastical, but we need to look, be looking at someone like Tammy Abraham who kind of get in the Chelsea squad. And we need to be looking at bringing players in like that in loan because playing without a striker, much like the statistics that Alex really loved before, you can't go two or three seasons being in the bottom three for everything that's kind of, you know, proactive on a football field. You can't go in two seasons playing a third, a third of a season without a striker when you're a club in Newcastle position in, in my worthless opinion. I don't even think we're going to get on to, to Joe Linton today because we've already done an hour and seven minutes, but... Just another absolutely infuriating season. Glimpses towards the end, but like most things, you know that that Sheffield United performance, for example, uh, last week, it was just classic, classic Jolin. Almost didn't notice he was playing. Went off. Didn't notice he'd gone off. Um, he actually made, I think, more Premier League appearances overall than any other player, including substitute. But but again, I think he was fit all season. And only and only played twenty three games, and that that that's good, by the way. That's fantastic. I don't want him in the team, but again, <laughs> to have to have a forty million pound player who barely starts half of the games in the Premier League, and he ain't getting any better. <laughs> He's not any better for those twenty three for those twenty three games. Again, looking at next season, looking at what we're talking about, how we're going to get better. How are we going to get any better with Jordan playing twenty three games and scoring four goals? Like it's just it's just nonsensical. Uh, really quickly, lads. Give us your best and worst games. We'll do it as a quick fire. Um, ben, start with you. Best game? I mean, it's got to be the Leicester one you've already mentioned. Um, I mean, that was just... I mean, to find myself so clear against a, a team fighting top four. I mean, third. I think they were third in the, the league at the time. Um I mean that just came out of absolute nowhere and <laughs> to 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 hammer them so comfortably and we, we had that kind of little scare where they they obviously got a couple back late and and were pushing but um just that that was a mental result and I kind of think that kick started their downfall really um in terms of the of they've obviously missed out on top 4 as a result but that that result and the the hammering they got that day was was um, huge, and it's just interesting that we've we've kind of become a bit of a bogey side for Leicester the last the last few years when they've been a great team. We've we've picked up some really really good results and, and hammered them in a few of those games. So um, I think that's got to be the the standout achievement, and I think everybody was was shocked by that. We, we were so good that day away. Um, everybody was on form. It was was re- really really good performance. Norman. West Ham away because that was the most optimistic I felt all season straight after that game. I thought, you know what, maybe we've got something here. Um, little did I know. Eh? 
My answer was going to be exactly the same for the exact same reason, <laughs> Mickey. Mine's going to be similar to Ben. It's uh, other other than that West Ham game, it's probably the one game that we've won and played really well at the same time. And you've thought afterwards that was a great performance from Newcastle United side. I think There's a random shout out for the Everton away game. It's probably worth. Sorry, mate. I, th- yeah. I, I thought you. I think Everton away was completely unexpected. Um, there you go. Graham Jones's debut. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that, that was the game. So I was just going to say that was the game I said before where Wilson kind of showed his metal and and was unbelievable that day. So. Yeah, that I think that was again one of the more pleasing ones because you you kind of saw what when when the team actually changed formation and kind of had a bit of a an idea of what to do, um, we and we we absolutely battered again a team that were expected to come in and batter us and we're doing really well at the time. We we absolutely killed them that day as well. Okay, let's go to worst games. Ben kick off. I think the Sheffield defeat. 1-0 got to be I mean there's a few bad ones but that kind of just um, summed everything up in, in terms of that horrific run that we're on um, against a team that I don't think they'd picked up um, I think that was their first win wasn't it of the season at that point. Um, I mean the, I mean the games against Sheffield in the, in the Premier League have, have not been amazing, but we've, we've won the games. But uh, that was just, I mean, absolutely had nothing. It just offered with nothing. We we looked like a, a team heading for relegation um, and just looked like there was no answers. And as I say, it was kind of, um, we'd, we'd just had that horrific run where we'd, we'd kind of dropped out the cups. Um, obviously, we'd kind of lost lost to the, or, or dropped points anyway to the to the promoted sides and it was that was kind of the the one to sort of kick start the season back up and we just looked bereft of ideas and, and that was a really really worrying performance um that that looks like we were nailed to relegation Norm? Brentford away in the league cup um Brentford's reserves basically one of the most disappointing performances I've ever witnessed and ultimately like the Man City game the season before in the quarterfinal of the cup, it was it was a that those two cup runs air quotes were used as defense mechanisms for quite a few of Steve Bruce's uh, friends in the media. And the reality was it kind of laid bare in that particular game. It was utterly dreadful and a massive letdown. I also was going to go with Brentford. It's where the season fell apart. Um, you could look at the the game immediately afterwards against Fulham where. They, they should have won. Ten man Fulham should have beat. It wasn't a pen. Um, although there wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been doubt ten if we didn't get the pen. But you know, swings around about that. Um, that I mean that you can almost count that whole week as one, couldn't you? It was like three games in six days or something. Um, where we were absolutely terrible in all three. But the Brent, the Brentford one is the really bad one because they they didn't even want to win. Like they didn't. They, 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 Brentford didn't want to win, and we went there with our full team and lost, and, and lost in in a pretty convincing way. Like pathetic. There's, there's an argument that I've seen several times. I've seen it repeated tonight that um, more ambitious football clubs like the manager after that performance in a game of that magnitude. But we'll never. We'll we'll leave that for now. Mine was actually different to all of you. So please, no one said it. Mine was the West Brom game. Now, now I appreciate I appreciate we drew that game. But it was one of the few times I've ever watched Newcastle United and just thought, what am I doing with my life? Why Why am I watching Newcastle United with Jeff Hendrick trying to get a point away at pretty much already relegated West Brom when we haven't won a game in three months? What am I doing? Like the, the, the team went there. Um, 
and had, um, you know, I'm just looking at the fixtures now. Um, we had Villa and Brighton coming up, and it was kind of, you know, they, after a bad run, these are the fixtures. Everything's going to be okay. Um, we've got these games coming. So Maximan's back. All this kind of stuff. And I just thought we're just we're a disgrace. I thought we deserve to get relegated. Going into that game, putting in that performance, it was almost like um, Bruce had this ridiculous respect for Sam Allardyce and his team. There was a reason West Brom went down without a fight this year. I think we were two points off safety when the sacked Billich. <laughs> and we we went then there were like nine points or eleven points from safety and we just we didn't even try to win the game. It was an awful, awful, awful experience. But he's, I wasn't there, like, because if fans were allowed on the ground, I'd have been there. But who knows? Between um, us there, we've we've got like five or six worst games of the season and we haven't even talked about the fact that we lost twice against Brighton 3 0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I mean, we pretty much kept kept well once it kept Brighton up because Fulham was so bad, but Brighton rely on their six points or four points against us every season, don't they? <laughs> um quickly then, lads, quick fire. Um player of the season, Ben. I'll go Fernandez, I think. Fernandez, well, I wasn't expecting that. Norman. I was going to say Fernandez. Oh, that's a, <laughs> uh, just because of the impact he's had later on the season. And now I'm now I'm completely thrown as to who it is. Um, so you can have Fernandez. I'll go someone else if you want. Uh, no, no. Um, can I come with the same as Ben? But I, I didn't particularly want to. I think it's interesting because I'm I'm trying to look in the whole context of the season as opposed to the last nine games because I was the next name that came to my head was Paul Dummett, bizarrely. Um, but because he's been he's been brilliant, he's been massively influential. Actually, now what? Looking at just how the impact Dummett had since he came back on the side, I'm going to say Paul Dummett. Unsung hero in the last nine games for me, last ten games. Maybe. My head goes Wilson, my heart goes to Maximan. Love watching Max play football. It's one of the only things that's brought me any joy watching Newcastle United this year is watching Max skin people. Joe Willock for me. He comes yeah. in, he scores, he scores eight goals. I mean, bear in mind that last season, Newcastle's top score was George Rochelle with five or six. Willock yeah. comes in, plays like... 13 games and scores eight goals. It's unprecedented for a 21-year-old midfielder to come into a struggling, well, shite team in the Premier League and uh, and do what he did. Um, kind of tells you why England are so highly tipped uh, for the Euros as some of that. A player like that hasn't even really seriously been mentioned for getting a place in the squad or the friendlies, never mind the team. Um, but what, what an impact. What, what, you know, when, when Papi Cissé came in in... 11, 12 were already good. He just made it a bit better. We're dog shit. We're, we're still our shit, but we're, we've, we've improved somewhat. If there's a, a balance between dog shit and shit, it's because of Joe Willett. So he's my player of the season. Um, Lads, I think we'll leave it there. It, the, the end of season show is always a long one. We do have lots more end of season, season review patter on our Patreon platform. £5.50 a month. would love for you to join us. If you join, by the way, on Patreon, you've not done it before, you get access to our full three and a bit year catalogue of podcasts going right back to the 17-18 season. Um, so there's literally thousands of podcasts you can listen to there, or hundreds at least. Uh, we're going to have full coverage of the Euros. We're hopefully going to be at Newcastle's pre-season games, all being well with restrictions and stuff like that. Um, Norman does Prem Patter and has lots more of those shows coming up. We'll have Keith Gillespie on Patreon all summer. So if you like this podcast, um, please come along and join us, Norman. You mentioned the Prem Patter podcast. They we're going to be doing a season review on Prem Patter, so basically looking at pretty much every team in the Premier League with uh, alongside Keith Gillespie. So if you're not on Patreon, 
it is it's pretty much worth the five hour per month just to listen to Keith talk because obviously his insight as a as an ex pro is something that we kind of give. It's brilliant. Spot on. And uh, also one final favour. Thanks to everyone who's listened this season to the True Faith podcast. I think it's where sixth season or something like that. Time flies there. Take we're back, Mooney and Ben to 2014 and uh, and looking ahead to, to Alan Pardew and his his season coming up with what would be his, uh, his last season as Newcastle manager. Um, you can do us a massive favour by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and, and a nice comment if that is your platform of choice. But we'll leave it there. Mickey, Ben, Norman, thanks to you, lads. Thanks for all your hard work this season. Thanks to you, the listener, for sticking with the True Faith podcast. And uh, we will see you on the free show next season, uh, probably for the season preview and, of course, full transfer coverage of any new players across on payment. So thanks for listening. It's been a terrible season. Speak to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.